As we think about this morning and how we're celebrating uh, the birth of our country, uh, the comparison to the freedoms that we have here and the freedom that we have in Christ are vast. For most of us, we did not do anything to get freedom. We just have it. Because of the great sacrifices of men who died before and men and women who are in service now that are protecting it, we are sitting here in freedom. Nothing we've done. Just sitting here, enjoying what it means to be free. Free to worship. Free to speak. Free to live and choose where we go, what we do. In the same way, we are sitting here in freedom because of the sacrifice of Christ. Nothing we did. Christ died for us and gave us eternal life and gave us a path to the Lord. And nothing that we do makes us worthy of that. So we are here today in a great way of celebrating not only the freedom of our country, but the freedom that we have because of great sacrifice. One of the things that I think is pretty amazing is um, sometimes when we live with that for a long time, we forget about the sacrifices that it took to get here. And we live a favored life. We just think, hey, we've got it all. We have all of this favor. And we enjoy the gift and we forget the cost. And so today when we're looking at James, we're going to discover something pretty amazing that these people were still suffering with that same reality and they were falling into the trap of favoritism. Now, I have to be honest with you, I can't continue uh, preaching without being reminded of one of the most amazing slash funny experiences that I ever had with a 4th of July service um, at a church several years ago. Our choir decided to sing an incredible song, very beautiful today. Uh, theirs was uh, patriotic, which was good. Um, theirs was um, talking about God, which was good. And they wanted to end it with a great fanfare. And so they decided that they were going to use uh, confetti cannons in the worship service. And when I heard this, I thought, this is the job for me. I want to be a confetti cannon person. Not only do I want to be the person, I would like to choose my team of confetti cannon people. We had 10. That was exciting. They were going to go off twice, once in the middle of the song. Then you had to reload and get ready for it again. I mean, this was the pinnacle of excitement. And so I got, um, first I started, I had 10 people. So I thought, well, I'm going to talk with all the guys that I know that are hunters because they'll know about gun safety. So several of them were in choirs. So they couldn't do it. Several of them were doing other things, probably in the back. And so um, I got to about six people and I needed four more people. And word got out that I was just going after guys that were hunters. And we had some ladies that were not happy about that. Why can't they be 
uh, confetti cannon puller as well. And so I got a couple of girls um, that I thought were responsible. And then I still needed, still needed two more people. And one of the dads that I had asked to come and do this confetti said, well, my daughter would really love to do it. And I was like, okay, well, um, you know, does she, has she ever shot a gun? No, but I mean, it's not that hard. Surely she'll be able to do it. And I was like, uh, well, all right, okay. Yeah, we need some more people, so go ahead. And so we, we put her right here on this side and set her up right there at that column. Like at the church I was at, it was at that first column. So we had several people that were lined up, some people in the balcony. I was in the baptistry and I got to shoot out to the church. It was delightful. (laughs) And the time came for us to shoot the cannons. And this sweet girl who had never really shot anything before was so excited. And as she reached to pull the cannon in her excitement, she dropped it and aimed it right at a person and shot them. Now, unfortunately, it was a visitor. They never came back. Why do I tell that story? I wanna define some terms today and I'm gonna help with this story defining these terms. What is favor? You'll see that in your notes. To feel or show approval or preference due to merit. I chose six people out of merit because they were hunters. So I had favor on them. Absolutely had favor on those guys to shoot. One of them shot at the wrong time. So, but I did choose them for that. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We see in Psalms and Proverbs that um, when we obey God's word, we gain favor with the Lord. Um, What is favoritism? Let's look at that. To show approval or preference because of an unfair bias or prejudice based on respect to the position, the rank, popularity, circumstances of men instead of their condition, preferring the rich, powerful, and gifted to those who are not. I chose this sweet girl and set her up for failure because I was biased to her dad. What is unmerited favor? Unmerited favor, that which God shows us because our favor was based on Jesus' merit and not on our merit. Unmerited favor is what we're experiencing today. Freedom in America. We didn't deserve it. We just got it. How can I say that? Because in the Bible it says that we deserve death. Right? That there's no one righteous, no, not one. That we are all sinners. And yet God gives us favor, not because of what I've done, but because of what his son has done. And that should change the very way that we view every person in the world. We should not have favoritism because God didn't. Acts chapter 10, 
Peter discovers this truth. This is right after Peter is, um, in, encounters Cornelius. Remember, Cornelius was a, um, a Gentile. And so he experiences Cornelius and he um, goes and, and speaks to Cornelius and he discovers that, that God's good news is not just for the Jewish people, but it's for all people. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent this message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. There is no favoritism with God. And that's where we encounter James chapter 2. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 2, we're going to read together. And as, um, as we've been doing over the last couple of, of, of months, we've, we've stood in honor of God's Word. And I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind standing as we read James chapter 2. It should also be on the screen. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in the good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here at the floor of my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? <clears throat> yet you dishonor, uh, sorry, yet you dishonor the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme your good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Then move to verse 12. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. You may be seated. Noel mentioned last week that the, the book of James is one of those, one of those books that, am I on? Because it's feeling like I'm not. All right. The book of James is one of those books that kicks you in the stomach. And in this passage at first, when we read it, you may be in that position where you're like, well, I don't really show that much favoritism. I'm pretty good. My challenge is for you to stick with this passage for a week. God revealed to me many ways that I show favoritism. And it kicked me hard. 
Because there's ways to show favoritism in which that we do it blatantly. And then there are ways that we can do it that are more subverse. And that is really where God began hitting me pretty hard. So how and who do we show favoritism to? First, we show favoritism to people that are like us. They're mentally, physically, spiritually, socially like us. It's because we understand them. Because those different from me take more energy to understand and respect. But those that are like me, I get along with easily. And so I'm drawn to them. And those people that I'm not drawn to because they exhaust me, I tend to avoid. That's favoritism. People more important than us. Because it increases our status when we're around them. When we drop their names, it gives our word more weight. Because it feeds our ego. Sometimes we like to be known for the people that we hang with. People that are easy to like. Because they're nice to us first. We're drawn to people that feed our ego. Because they think I'm more important than they are. That makes me feel better. Because I have a long history with them. I've been friends with them forever. These are some ways that we can show favoritism. And the problem with that is, is that then we get into the problem of cliques and in small groups that it's hard for people to get in. And we have the message of the gospel, the good news, and people want to hear it, but they can't get into the group to understand it. We're called to fight against favoritism. We're called to fight against it and to reach out to the world, the whole world, so that they can see and know and hear the good news. The first reason that we need to fight against favoritism, I want to kind of move forward on that screen real quick, is because it denies the truth of Jesus. Do you realize in James, the book of James, Jesus' name is mentioned two times and that's it. This whole incredible book, Jesus' name is mentioned twice. It's pretty significant. The first time it's mentioned at the very beginning of the, of, the, of the book, and it just helps us know that James is a follower of Jesus Christ. So the only time that his name is mentioned, other than just explaining that James is a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, is here in chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Do not show, show favoritism because you are holding on to the faith of Jesus. Ephesians says what? It's not by our works, but it's by faith that we're saved. Not by what we've done, but by what Christ has done. So we shouldn't hold favoritism because it's not anything about how great I am. It's about how great God is. 
And so there is no reason for us to say I'm better than someone else or this person exhausts me and I just don't have it in me. Because our faith in Jesus reminds us that God loves every one, even those that are hard for us to love. God loves everyone and desires for everyone to know him. That's why he sent his son, so that the world would know of his great love, of who he is. And the only way that they can know that is us. If you're a Christian, the only way that the world can know that is you. How dare us pick and choose who gets to hear the good news? How dare us say that this person or this group is worth it and this one isn't? That is not who God is. We must fight against favoritism because it denies the truth of Jesus who came for all, whose desire is for all. Number two, we need to fight against favoritism because it denies the power of God's word to transform how we view our neighbors. We've got to fight against favoritism because it goes against God's word. And God's word is real specific on how we should treat our neighbors. Let's look in Leviticus. Um, That should be on the screen. Let's pop that up and let's look at Leviticus 19. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor. Give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That should ring in our minds because Jesus quoted that. Remember when someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commands can can encompass all the other commands. Love God and love people. And so to explain it even further, Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And we know this story where there was a, a man who was walking and fell among thieves and he got beaten up. He got all of his stuff taken and he was left in a really bad way. And three people came by and saw him in need. And two people walked on by. They were too busy. One was a priest. One was a Levite. One was religious. One was political. 
And the third one was a Samaritan. The lowest of lows in that culture. And he saw this person and he met the need. Took him. Put him on his donkey. Took him to a place that he could be taken care of. Gave money and said, hey, if this isn't enough, I'll come back and I'll give you more. And then Jesus, at the end of this parable, asks a question. In Luke 10, 36 and 37, it says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus said, Go and do the same. Dear church, I think we need to open our eyes and ask the Lord to show us people that are hurting. Ask for God to open our eyes to help us see people that need to hear hope. We have been given so much freedom, forgiveness, love, grace, mercy, hope, eternity. And there are people everywhere looking for those things. And we have the answer. Do you see them? Do you see these people? We need to fight against favoritism because it denies our purpose of being a blessing to all nations. Many people, when they um, read Scripture, they get to the point where God chooses Israel to be the, the chosen people and the chosen nation. And they begin to think, well, there's favoritism for you right there. There's a bias. How does that work? I want us to look back and see when God called Abraham. It's in Genesis chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, flip with me there. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, to your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Why did God call the Israelites to be a blessing to all nations? that through them all nations would know God. That's why he called them out. He called them out for a purpose. He called them out to let the world know who he is. We somehow get tripped up at the beginning. Lord, bless me. Lord, multiply me. 
Lord, Lord, help me not experience bad things. The people that are mean to me, get them. And we miss the second part. The second part of of the calling for all nations to be blessed. And this isn't just an Old Testament promise. We see this as well um, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5, we see that God has given us a purpose too. From now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see that the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Our purpose, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. From now on then, we do not know any, oh, you just went, anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. This passage is incredible. Because it reminds us that when we accept Christ... And we accept him as Lord and Savior and we accept the freedom, we accept the grace, we accept the forgiveness. If that was the end of the story, then we should just go to heaven the moment that we make that decision. If that was the purpose, was for us to find out that Christ is the only way, then once we did it, we should, we should just go to heaven. I've always wanted to be transported. That would be awesome. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of us discovering and discovering God's great love is for us to be ambassadors, to tell others about this great love and to call them out to be reconciled to God. That we're all sinners. God does not show favoritism. Romans 2.11 says he shows no favoritism. He's going to judge everybody. But that there is a way, there is a way through Christ to experience God. We can be a blessing to all nations if we choose to. But it has to start somewhere. And church, I think it needs to start in our church. Do we show partiality in our church? Here's the question. Where do you sit on Sunday mornings? Are you looking for visitors? Are you looking for people that you don't know? Are you going and making them feel at home? Is there anything I can pray for you about this week? I haven't seen you before. Are you going and telling the good news to the people that are just mere feet away from you? 
Are you sitting with the same people that you've always sat with because that's your people? You haven't seen them all week. Get on the phone and call them. When you come to church, you've got a purpose. It's to be an ambassador to those that don't know yet. Are you inviting your neighbors to come and sit with you so they can hear the message of the good news? Or will that cramp your style because you've got a Sunday school fellowship and they're not the same age? Let this passage sit with you for a week. It's very uncomfortable. It's been very uncomfortable to realize how I fall in to favoritism because it's easy, because it's comfortable. But God is calling us to fight against it. Parents, do your children see you engaging those that are in need? Has your kids ever seen you reach out to someone that was poor, homeless, sick, lonely? Have they seen you try to make a difference? To pray with them, to love on them, to help them. Who will take up the cause and the leadership for our Hope ESL ministry. You know, we've got a ministry here that's been going on for 30 years. It's an incredible ministry that reaches out to people who don't know English. And while we're teaching them English, we're telling them about Christ. We've been doing it for 30 years. It's an incredible ministry. Do you know that we have one church member that works in that ministry? Everyone else is not from this church. Who's gonna take that up? Who's going to help them? Who's going to tell them about Christ? They're here on Tuesday nights. The question becomes, are you willing to be a blessing to the nations by crossing barriers of comfort? By crossing barriers of language? By crossing barriers... Are you willing to be a blessing to all nations? That last fill in the blank is a barrier, yeah. You know, Jesus did. He crossed a lot of barriers for us. Romans 5, 6 through 10 says this, While we were still helpless, at the point, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says this, Instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
God moved through great barriers in order for us to have salvation. Christ left heaven and comfort and praise, continual praise of who he was and his name and came in the form of a baby, limited in speech, couldn't even speak when he was born. That's a huge barrier just in order for us to know God. That while we were enemies, we weren't celebrating Jesus. We were enemies of him. He still loved us and died so that we could have relationship with God the Father. He created an incredible legacy for us to follow. As a Christian, you are saying that you are a little Christ. That's what Christian means. And that means that we're going to imitate him and what he did. So do you tend to move away and protect yourself from other people? Or do you seek to move towards them to share the good news? Jesus did that. He was known for being where sinners were. Unethical people, tax collectors. Immoral people, harlots and thieves. Unhealthy, unclean people, leopards, blind, paralyzed, the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. Socially ignored people, Samaritans, women, children, Gentiles, thieves, demon-possessed, poor people. This is where Jesus was. This is who he spent time with. This is who he pursued. This is who he told, God loves you. Where are you? There are many ways that we can fight against favoritism. Simple as just changing our minds. Maybe it's volunteering at Love, Inc. Maybe it's the Hope Food Pantry or the Christian Women's Job Corps or Glory Gang or God Tell or the Harvest House or Pamela Stanilin is starting a ministry where we're feeding people, uh, children, um, with a backpack ministry out of our schools in the fall. There's many opportunities all over this town that we can fight against favoritism and tell the whole world of God's great plan, His good news. Maybe it's going on a mission trip. People just got back from Ecuador. There's a mission trip coming later this, this summer. There's college students that go on mission trip that could, we could help them by praying for them. Maybe it's a prayer ministry where we're just praying, Lord, open our eyes, help us see how you are going all over the world so that your message, your good news can be proclaimed. I can pray. I can help mobilize. I can help get people there. I'll give money. But more than that, I will be there when they come back and say, what did God do? Share with me what God is doing. I want to be a part. We can pray and say, Lord, help me see people the way you see people when we go to restaurants, when we go fill up our gas. So many times 
We claim that we're Christian. But is there evidence that you're being a blessing to the world? Is there evidence? James is all about, does your walk equal your talk? If you say that you're a Christian, this is what that looks like. My prayer is, is that we don't stop with the points that we are being blessed. We live in a great nation that has given us great freedoms. Spider-Man says with great power comes great responsibility. Jesus says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. We have a great purpose. Father, forgive us when we're lazy. And we fall into what's easiest. Instead of what God is calling us to. Today. Right now. In your seats. Or maybe you'll want to come to the front. And pray. Today, our point of conviction and contact is, Lord, do I see people the way you see them? And if I haven't, help me open my eyes. For dear church, we have been given a great gift of salvation And it was not meant to be kept to ourselves. It was meant to be shared. And we have a great opportunity to share that message with people that are in this room, people that are in this town, people all over the world. But we have got to get uncomfortable. We've got to be willing to cross the barriers, to go where they are. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day and for reminding us of your great, great gospel news. That your son did not stay in heaven, but left in order for us to have life. And this message of good news and forgiveness is not just for the few, but this news and good news is for your creation, for your people. You created us in your image. We are your delight. We have sinned and fallen short. And you have a plan to restore and reconcile. Father, for those in this room that have experienced your great love, remind us of that. And because of our faith in you, may we be a light to the world. And Father, for those that are in this room that have not experienced that, Father, we pray that you would open their eyes, that they would see your great love. And that may they desire to want to know more about you. May we help you in that endeavor.
In your son's name we pray. Amen.